Hello and welcome to First Take Film Club. I'm your host, Connor Norcott, and today I'm joined by these two lovely fellas, Liam Jones and Luke Chandley. Boys, how are you? Liam, you doing okay? Um, I'm really, really tired. Um, I've only just woken up. Uh, I was working, I've worked a lot recently, and which is great. You know, having a job is great, but working a lot is tiring me out. And I, I worked last night, and as soon as I got back, I watched this film that we're doing today, and then I woke up this morning, and then we're doing this pod, and as soon as it finishes, I have to go to work again. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely stuff. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm good other than feeling really tired. I, okay. I'm, I'm doing good. Hopefully this, this podcast kind of spurs you up and sets you up for the day, but we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> Luke, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks. Really good. Um, yeah. don't think you've got anything of note to talk about um, on the food front we've got a Domino's waiting at home for me when I finish work um, I haven't had breakfast but I'm feeling alright yeah I've had a, like, a really busy week um, just a couple of weeks of work obviously wasn't here last week unfortunately because um, of work god oh, just work but this week's <laughs> a little a little light, a little lighter so that's fine so but yeah I'm pretty good I'm, feel, I'm feeling alright Um I am a little sleepy, but I honestly don't think I'm as sleepy as Liam. No, no. If anything, um, this kind of reminds me of the days when we'd actually record in person. Remember that? Like, I've I've actually not saw both (laughs) of you in in months. Um, And I'd come into the pod recording and I'd be hanging out of my arse. And you'd be like, are you hung over again? I'd be like, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like me and Liam have got similar things going on there. Um, I've got the full, like my eyes like aren't even opening properly you still got some sleep in there probably yeah probably yeah like i've got like the whole like swollen eyelid thing going on because like (laughs) i've literally like only just woken up yeah it's hilarious people can't see this because obviously it's a podcast and you listen to those but liam's background (laughs) is just bright white because he's sitting behind a window and it looks like he's went to the afterlife or something (laughs) (laughs) i feel like the lack of sleep's carried him off (laughs) that is a shout that Um, Six. So normally we start with an opening question and I had a really, really good one last night and now I've forgotten it. And I'm just going to try and wing it and it, something will come to me. So this film is often described as like a black comedy, which is like a comedy with really dark subject matter and dark um, themes. If you could put two genres together that don't really go together, what would you put together? I would love to see Oof. like... Um, like a romantic horror film. There must be like Oof. a really good one of those out there. What romantic horror? That's a good shout. I, I'm trying to think what I'd do. What because initially I, do? I thought mm, maybe science fiction. And I was like, no, I'm not smart enough. I, that's already been done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a very much a genre yeah. in itself. Um, science fact. Oh, sounds like a documentary to me, but I'm not <laughs> it does. Oh, that is very much just my Scientology movie by Louis Theroux. Oh, um, it's, it's a good one, though. I uh, have you got an answer, Liam? I was going to pass to you while I think. But... I absolutely do not. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like I put you both on the on the spot here. Um, um, oh gosh, why don't we what talk about we... a romantic a romantic horror film then? That would be cool if you could put yeah, two, that... a, 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 a horror film together and a you know. A traditional romantic film together what would work i think It'd be like... sh- wouldn't it just be showing the dead oh shit it would wouldn't it yeah. oh well, edgar I mean, wright that crafty a... fucker <laughs> right talented bastards fuck i don't know why but the film that came to my mind uh was 
Warm Bodies. You know the Nicholas Holt film oh, that came yeah. out a few years ago. Because that that I'd film say is that enti- kind of... like that's a zombie film that is entirely like they have to fall in love to uh, turn him human again from a zombie which is yeah. it, it it sounds bizarre but i actually quite like that film. i like that film too actually i think nicholas holt's really weird so i don't try and watch anything with him in it but oh, i love nicholas holt man i love i do i think i think he's i think he's odd <laughs> i think he's odd in the same way that daniel radcliffe's odd oh like, i think I that's really harsh on nicholas holt <laughs> i don't i don't yeah i don't really I don't... know how they're actors that's what i kind of think but there we are now nicholas holt's great um i remember have you have any of you seen About a Boy? Yeah, it's great. I think I so. love that film. It's it's a young Nicholas Holt before even before he was yeah. in Skins. Yeah. It's so good. It's really it's sad really as well. Oh, well, yeah, it is. But... It's Hugh Grant, Tony Collette, and uh, Nicholas Holt. Oh yes, um, I have watched that film. Yeah, it's really yeah, good. Yeah. Well, big. If you're listening, Nicholas, you got two of us that that, that are going to bat for you. <laughs> Maybe chat to me and Liam. Um, all right, six. So we'll just get off that weird question and move on to the film <laughs> we're talking about today, which I don't think I've announced it yet. It's um, Fargo, which is a 1996 film written and directed by the Coen brothers. We discussed a couple of their stuff on the podcast before, but this is one that I think both of, well, all of us have actually been kind of dying to talk about. Um, it was a first take for both of you too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I saw this six or seven times but i love it and it's one of those films that just gets better and better the more you watch it um all right so i'll just give a little brief summary and then we'll jump into your first text so the plot centers around jerry lundegaard who is a car salesman and he's gotten himself into a bit of a financial pickle let's put it that way and he's in dire need of money and jerry's big plan is to arrange for his wife to be kidnapped (laughs) and then his his father-in-law would pay the ransom fee to his kidnappers, who's working with Jerry, and he'd have some money and be out of his his financial trouble. But as you can imagine, this being a Cohen's movie, it doesn't really go to plan. And yeah, a lot of blood is spilled, a lot of bad things happen, and a lot of nihilistic points are made. But it's, we all get there for the laugh. So, um, <laughs> boys, how did you how did you how did you feel about this one? Luke, we'll come to you first. Your first take. What are you saying? Yeah, I thought it was boss proper loved it like i just and to be fair like i think i think i thought i would love it like mm-hmm. i i don't know why i haven't watched it i think it was one of the films where like we often would kind of digging around for movies and we'll pick films that kind of yeah you know whatever we do where we like them or don't like them or, or or want to watch them or whatever but this is a film where like for some reason i just hadn't seen it and then as soon as we identified that like we hadn't seen it, we were like, well, that's going to get podcasted, so don't watch it. Mm-hmm. And like, I really wanted to watch it. Um, and I just, uh, I think I just love all everything about it, really. Like, it's like this is not starting off on a very positive point, but like, it's super short, so it's like easy to get into. Like, mm-hmm. it's really like slick. There's no, uh, there's no like, there's no fat. It's just pure meat on the bones. And um, it's funny. Um, and it's just, I just, I proper liked it. Like, honestly, I reckon I can just watch it again now. Like, I watched it last night and I can watch it again now. I just, it's really easy to watch. Um, the performances are pretty good. Um, yeah, I just loved it. Like, my first take is that it was just great. And, like, it will go on my list of films to, like, watch again kind of probably pretty frequently. Sick. Um, awesome. So, yeah, I, I dug it a lot. Liam, how about yourself, mate? You said you had a pretty um, rough, heavy work day yesterday. How did this film... Mm. Um, Feel, make it, you feel about that? It soothed it. 
it seemed it? my very <laughs> tough day. It's a brilliant film, isn't it? It's great. Um, yeah. I I loved it. I love the. I do. I do love a black comedy. Me. I I, I do like that. Um, and obviously, not like I think we've covered how many film? How many codes have we covered now on on the pod? Maybe one. Good question. Say that um, again. Sorry. Feel how many, many co- Cohen's? Uh, we've, done, we've, we've done. We've done. We've done. This is this is our third one. I I remember off the top of my head. What was the so the other one was No Country for Old Men. And we right? did the Big Lebowski as well. Yeah, oh, that was it. Of yeah, course yeah. We did. Awesome. Yeah, their style is just totally unique. Um, I it's love, engaging though, isn't it? It's really engaging as well. Yeah, I kind of love how they take like a real place in the world and make it feel completely kind of isolated and almost like unique and almost made up but it but obviously you know it is a real part of the world and it opens with the um uh with, with the with with the little bit saying that this is it's based on true events um and i think they only actually uh they only actually spoke about a few years ago that um it is based on some true. It's very, very loosely based yeah, on it is, yes. true events. Very, very loosely. Do you know what um, those events are? Or well, we'll, we'll talk about it later. It's not that big of a I, thing. I, I don't actually know. Okay, I don't know okay, what okay. the events okay. are. I, I just kind of, you know, read that and thought, oh, cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my first take was that I, I, I really loved this film and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's kind of the perfect antidote after, you know, working a, 10 hour shift you know mm. and like five days on the bounce knowing that you've still got three more days on the bounce to go <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a nice little um a nice little break in the palette there though isn't it i like i said i think i've watched this film for five or six times and i remember the first time i watched it i didn't like i didn't get it i think it was the first cohen's film that i watched and i didn't understand why I was laughing so much and I felt kind of bad for laughing at these people. And as someone who has his accent laughed at and mocked and impressioned quite a lot, laughing at other people's accents felt kind of harsh, but, mm. <laughs> but I, I love it. I love the setting. And I think, I don't know, I watched it and I'm kind of in a weird spot where I'm, I'm missing home a little bit at the minute with us being in lockdown. I kind of wish I could just go home and be mm. looked after. That would be kind of nice. And this film kind of made me feel like I'm home, even though I'm not mm. from, Fargo in Minnesota, wherever wherever it's at. North North Dakota, isn't it? North Dakota, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> all right, we'll just move on to the plot and the main characters. Then I want to talk about Jerry off the bat. Um, like we established, he is the car salesman that it kind of centers around, and he's got himself in a bit of str- bit of trouble, and he plans to get his wife kidnapped. Oh my god, this guy is a ball bag. I absolutely hate him. He's <laughs> such a wet wipe, isn't he? But he's hilarious. And I think that's that's such a credit to the Coens that you shouldn't really root for these people. But I kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. Like he's doing all these terrible, terrible things and I'm I'm here for it. I'm just letting, it, letting him roll with it. What did you guys make of him? Um, what I want to say first is that is um, about the about him and the plot. We don't we don't have to find out what financial difficulty he's in. He's just need is that right? That is yeah. right. I haven't missed that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um I sometimes will just like yesterday I didn't I put my phone down straight away like I engage with this film entirely mm-hmm. but sometimes I do just like my head just wanders and I just miss like core ingredients of the film so I just want to double check um but he's such a wet wipe but he is mm-hmm. like I don't know if you root for him 
maybe you root for him because just like everything has gone wrong. Like everything, it starts off for whatever reason, he needs this money. And almost in the film, that's the best position he's in, just needing the money, but hasn't yeah. had any endeavours to get the money yet. That is like the best we see it. And it just goes downhill for him. So it feels just like he's just getting punch after punch after punch. <laughs> and I think just by default, you're just like, oh man, I kind of want this guy just to get 40 grand now, to be honest with you, like, and let him be done with it. Um, but just out of everything he goes through, everything he goes through, um, he's just so desperate. Like the, William H. Macy, who plays Jerry, like he plays desperate so well. Like you are proper like this guy. Oh just my like God. A little, a little weed. He's uh-huh. just like a little wet wipe. And whatever's happened, happened. I can't even like, you know, can't he just can't control his son really, like neither can his wife, who ends up being you know kidnapped. Um, and they just play. Considering you've only got like between the, when the film properly starts and kicks in, you've got like fifteen minutes to establish that this guy is just like a little weed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just done so real so, so well, and and the character really is like. I don't root for him at all, but by default, at the end, I'm just kind of like, oh. I don't, I just don't want this guy. I, you know, I, I, like in No Country for Old Men, the the, the ending of it, where um, uh, the guy gets killed, mm-hmm. and you are like, I just didn't see. Sorry for spoilers there, like, <laughs> but you just don't, you just don't see it ending any other way. Uh-huh. And we're in this film, he gets arrested, and you just like. For this guy, this he's not charismatic where he can pull off like a spectacular ending where he rides off into the sunset. Like it was never gonna go any different for this dude, Jerry. Yeah. Um so which is probably why you're almost like, Oh, come on, catch a break, man. But um <laughs> yeah, he's just a mad character. He's he's great. He yeah. There's a really there's a really funny story about <clears throat> William H. Macy that when they were they were just about to shoot this film and they had already cast someone, Bill Pullman, I think, in the role of Jerry. And William H. Macy flew to New York to talk to the Coens. And he's, he'd already auditioned twice. And he went in and spoke to them and said, I think you're in real danger of fucking this film up. And said that, I think the line was, and they quoted it, that like, if you didn't give me this role, I'll <laughs> I'll strangle your dogs or something. But he did it in the, <laughs> in the Jerry, you know, in Jerry way. Uh, and I yeah. think they, re- and then as soon as Bill Pullman dropped out, they were like, ah, okay, he's the guy. Yeah, so yeah. Bill Pullman, if you've been kidnapped, mate, you know, he's done it. Um, <laughs> Liam, what about you? What did you think about him? He is kind of the perfect setup for the whole. Yeah. Plot, isn't he? It's interesting. I, I've seen the, uh, the first three series of the, the of the TV show. And the fir- the first series of of Fargo, the the, sh- the TV show, is very very similar to the film, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure if uh, Martin Freeman is called Jerry in it, but he's certainly playing that character, yeah, um, he is, and he? he's far. He, they they make it so in the TV show, it's very it's it's easier to empathise with him. You know, he's treated like shit. He's downtrodden. His wife speaks to him. You know, his wife treats him uh, horribly. Um, but in the TV show, it's actually him that ends up... He, he whacks his wife on the head with a hammer and kills her mm-hmm. after it kind of like... Yeah, after oh, yeah. After she's, you know, she's shouting at him quite a lot. Um, I think it's. I think in this one, it's probably a little bit harder to empathise with Jerry because <laughs> from the get-go, he's just a twat. And his wife as well seems... <laughs> His his wife does seem lovely, um, and you know he's kidnapping her because you know she has some money. 
I don't know why you just can't ask her for it. <laughs> but it's one of those where he's kind of just going down this rabbit hole of uh, bad choices, bad mistakes and, and, and constant fuck ups. And uh, you can tell that he probably used to be a decent guy. Like he's quite, he's quite almost shy, but, but then confident when it matters. Mm -hmm. And um, really softly spoken, even when he's kind of angry, he's, he's quite, he sounds quite calm. And I think, the Coens choosing Fargo as a as obviously a, a location, knowing full well that you know their accents are aren't intimidating at mm. all. You know, it's it's like um it's like a an American Scandinavian mix, isn't it? Yes. Um, that it does make everyone sound like friendly. It, everyone it really sounds so does. polite. Yeah, yeah. Everyone and it, like. Obviously, this probably isn't true of the of of the place, um, you know, in reality. But obviously, they, none of them say they. None of them, you know, some obviously the the bad guys swear quite a lot, but they don't say hell. They say heck. They don't mm -hmm. say God. They say gosh. Yeah. Um, it's all very. Uh, it's all very PG thirteen. Mm -hmm. um, when they, when it comes to kind of uh, exclaiming their profanities and. And whatnot, and yeah, I just love kind of the quirkiness of it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, obviously, back back to Jerry as a character. I think, yeah, William H Macy is great. Um, I've seen him in a few. I haven't seen him in loads of things, but I've seen him in a few things. Um, Magnolia being one of them, where uh, he plays quite a pathetic character in that as well. Mm -hmm. And obviously, he plays. Um, Frank in the shameless uh, US, doesn't he? Which is like the ultimate pathetic kind of loser, you know, alcoholic, know that, yeah. you know. Um, so I think he's got he's got previous and he's got the experience and he's definitely knows how to play mm -hmm. the the kind of loser in a he way. He is kind of the well, I, I say he he is kind of the main character. He's the character everything centers around, and he's the catalyst for all the plot devices mm. that happen. Yeah. But they, they, the main character in terms of how it's built is Frances uh, McDormand. And Marge, she isn't in, yeah. Yeah, Marge. She's, and she isn't introduced until like 35 minutes into the film, which mm -hmm. is over a third. And she's um, amazing. Into in the film. Oh, she, 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 yeah, I genuinely think this is the best thing I've seen her in, like in terms of her performance. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's the best performance she's given. And that's like a really high compliment because she's great in everything I've seen her in. Um she, she obviously, I've seen her. I've, I've I watched uh, Burn After Reading, which is another Cohen's film, and she's in that, and she's great in that as well. Uh, she worked. Um, she's basically in like nearly every scene with Brad Pitt, and their kind of uh, their friendship in in that is great. And um, yeah, she she's just brilliant. Obviously, I think I don't know if she'd won an Oscar before, but she won an Oscar, didn't she? Quite recently for uh, Three Billboards. Yeah. Um, which is obviously again absolutely amazing, but um, in this she's just she just steals a show. It's it's that kind of self awareness of knowing how to deliver lines that aren't funny on paper in a very comical way, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of her even her uh, physical comedy. That there's like one of the first moments when she goes to the crime scene and she's like. <laughs> she bends over and she goes to retch and you think oh she's obviously 
retching because of uh, you know the horrible like three people dad surrounding her. But no, she's just morning sickness. Yeah, she's pregnant, <laughs> and it's just yeah, she, she's great. She's really, really, really brilliant, and it's almost it's it's a genuinely seamless performance in that you, you can't even tell she's acting at times. It seems mm-hmm. like she is from this place, yeah, from definitely. this part of the world. It, it's, it, yeah, it is brilliant casting as well. I love her and her husband, Norm. I love their little relationship. I don't think I want that for myself, but I love it. I love to watch it. It's just it like an unassuming, sweet relationship. That it's isn't just too perfect. Enth- it's just not too enthusiastic, but very loving. Yeah, isn't there's, it? <laughs> there's fully love there, and we'll get on yeah. to that final scene at the end, because it might be the only thing that I don't really love in this film. Um, okay, we're speaking about Frances McDormand. I think her and the Coens... They just work well together. Like the Coens are so good at identifying characters, or sorry, actors who can play particular characters and you like mine and all their raw and inherent talent and making it work for like the characters that they've written or adapted. And and like another one, like Javier Bardem in No Company for Old Men, you wouldn't really think he could play like a a really awful psychopathic villain. But it works. That before Bond, obviously. Um, and yeah, in this, yeah. you wouldn't really think Frances McDormand could play like a really sweet, unassuming police detective, but it it just works perfectly. Um, yeah, I think her and Jerry kind of are the opposite ends of the spectrum, and then everything in between there is like the the moral grey ground, and that's something that the Coens love talking about. Um, in terms of the tone and the pacing of the film, then we talked about it as a black comedy. It kind of marries those two. Um, how do I word this? Like two genre tropes together it is quite humorous. All the like the tonal beats are quite funny and really rhythmic. And I just don't think there's a filmmaker or filmmakers out there that can do black comedies and funny films and and capture tone as well as the Coens do in these scenarios. Like I've watched quite a lot of their stuff. Not not all of it, but they might be my favorite filmmakers in terms of humor. Like I, I don't often laugh out loud anyway, really, um, except when I'm watching the U S office, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it. <laughs> <some other laughs> <point. laughs> but, but genuinely every time I watch their films, something or some, there's one little moment or one character that just makes me LOL. And for me in this, it's Steve Buscemi's character, Carl. Mm. I think he is hilarious and he's such a miserable, miserable bastard. And um, so he plays one of the the kidnappers and along with um, Peter Stromer's character, who I can't remember his name, is like... Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's almost like a French name or something, Gare or mm. something, like the cheese. Um, yeah, those two, are, they, they play the kidnappers and Carl is this like loudmouth, brash, almost Napoleon complex kind of man. And Peter Stromer is this huge, imposing, he's like the muscle of the group but he doesn't really talk. And when he talks, it's very monosyllabic and really one word. And their relationship is hilarious. And all the car journeys that they're involved in, I cannot help but laugh during those. What did you guys (laughs) make of those two characters? Yeah, good. They were like, uh, you know, in films where you've got like, oh, I suppose it goes back to like frigging, I don't know, whatever times they were, where you had like the jester and they were like just moving things along and like a, comedic element where like they were a big part of the story but mm-hmm. this is going to sound really daft but in like the same way that like Timon and Pumba in The Lion King are like a p- double act but they I also know like, what you mean. Yeah. have a core <laughs> involvement in the story but like they also aren't like 
I suppose they are directly involved in the story, but I, I suppose I'm finding it tough to actually say what I mean without mentioning the Lion King. But uh, you know, like it, I just thought they were they were funny and they had purpose, mm-hmm. um, and they're completely different. And um, like Steve Buscemi's uh, character is just like properly rash and kind of like some someone who would do something stupid um, and also quite angry um, and. Peter Stormare's character is well, obviously, he's basically he's almost a mute to the point where at the end, where Carl says to him, he's like shouting at him, and he's like, "You're fucking mute," and then walks <laughs> off. It's just like such an amazing line. <laughs> um, I just think they're really good. Like, yeah, they are. Like, because a lot of the comedy isn't like a lot of the comedy with Jerry and. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, what's what's Francis McDormand's character called again? Sorry, oh Marge. Marge. Um, like their comedy is not f- kind of physical or like more physical humor, whereas like with those guys, it's just kind of like you slap, like they're just calling each other names and mm-hmm. just being daft or getting shot or whatever. And that's like it's almost like if you don't get the other stuff, here are the guys for you. Where they're just gonna call each other names Probably. and shit. And um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't get. I thought they were great. It's it. If you want to say something, Liam, I just love the uh, the one liners. Um, when after uh, uh, Gaia um shoots the cop, um, <laughs> Steve Buscemi is just sat there and he's just going, Whoa, daddy! Whoa, <laughs> whoa, daddy! <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, he's got, he's got blood on his face, mm. and cop's just been. You know, had his brains blown out right in front of him, and like that's his reaction. It's just genuinely like you, I I almost couldn't think of anyone else who would write that. <laughs> like, and it and it still pay off. Like to have just in that quite serious moment, just for, just for Steve Buscemi to say "Whoa, Daddy," he says it a couple <laughs> of times as well. It, yeah, he does. Just, his delivery of it as well is just so it's it's so funny and. It's every time uh, when when Marge is um, kind of investigating the the murders, and uh, everyone she speaks to when they're describing um, when they're describing uh, what's his name Carl, mm-hmm. um, they, they all say it's a funny looking fella. It's just <laughs> funny looking. <laughs> it's just funny looking. They, they can't they can't describe him any yeah. other way. Oh but he's man. Like, more funny looking than any other than any than any other guy. Yeah. That is true. He is a funny looking guy, Steve he Buscemi, is. isn't he? And I think that's what that's what makes him uh, so kind of perfect for for quite a lot of the roles he plays, because um, he kind of does have that quite unique look and that unique kind of acting quality, mm-hmm. um, and he is just brilliant. And I think that's that's probably why he does work with. I mean, how many times has he worked with the Coens? I can think of twice, but I haven't seen all their films. <laughs> he's he's been in quite a few of them, I'd say. Yeah, um, yeah. He kind of just works well with their yeah. th- their kind of writing style. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they kind of bring out the best in him, really, and uh, it's obviously a good thing. There's so many little moments though in this film that I could list off as like favorite moments or bits that's like kind of sum the film up in general. But is there anything that didn't really work for you? Like, there's one scene in particular that. I didn't really like and get for ages. And then last night, I think I realized that it might make sense maybe. 
and it's you know the scene where um marge goes for dinner and with with an old friend a guy called mike yeah mike yanagisa or yanagisa whatever the the businessman and he's a proper creepy creepy dude and i hated that scene i still kind of do i didn't think i thought you could take that scene out and it's still the film still works but it kind of like the more i don't know there's something that i love about the coens is they do really simple filmmaking um tropes and they usually sit like simple techniques in their own way and make them really detailed and kind of it, it expands the reading into the film and um they just do simple shot reverse shots but the way they frame them and i think roger deacon shot this film as well they, they, they work they work oh, together wow. quite a lot and he is just he's we say this all the time he's just amazing every shot looks incredible in this yeah there's so many so many good ones but he does the the shot reverse shot and he frames them between the characters. So the camera's always in between the two actors and that makes it like, it's always a really wide angle, but it's really close up as well. So you, it feels like you're in the conversation with them. So that scene is really uncomfortable for me, but when they use the reverse shots of, of Marge's reactions to how um, Mike's behaving and Marge realizes that he, he lied to her. And I think later on is told that he lied to her about him being married and stuff like this you realize that she's been lied to and it's almost like she's never assumed that people would lie to her before or that you know in a place like this people she knows would have the capacity to lie to her before and that sets up the her second visit to go back and talk to um jerry and that's when she realizes that oh my god i think he might be involved in this as well Mm. and their interaction their second um I don't know, sit down discussion scene, interrogation, if you want to call it that, is my favorite scene in the whole thing. Because you, you're starting to see someone's lies slowly unravel and then quickly unravel. And the way Marge is able to keep it all together and just kind of, I don't know, pick pick another question, pick some more information out from him. And then he's, it's almost you see him realize like, oh, he needs to get out of this situation. So he goes, oh, you, you want a car or a lot check? Now I'll go do a lot check now. And she's like, oh, all right, okay. And then you see him drive <laughs> off outside the Oh man, it's hilarious. I love it so much. I love I it love, so much. In that scene in particular, just um I'll give my I don't know, it's everything that didn't work for me in a minute, but I just love when she just looks out the window and she's just like, he's left the interview. He's left he just keeps <laughs> saying he's left the interview over and over again. It's just great. I don't know why it made me laugh at the, the way the way it's said. I don't know. Um I think because I think that's a, I think that's another similar thing where what we were talking about before, uh, I will get back on track in a minute, um, where we were saying about how, like, when Liam mentioned, they, they say, oh, my gosh, and they don't swear. Whereas I think in other films, let's say if we compare, like, Tarantino film, which is also quite violent, quite funny, quite dramatic, you can imagine they'd be like, effing this, effing that, like, this person's left the interview, but she just says he's left the interview repeatedly over and over again. Like, she's not got the capacity to be, like, particularly more angry than that mm-hmm. um i just find that funny i think uh honestly i hadn't i couldn't think of a scene that didn't work for me until you mentioned that scene with mm-hmm. um the guy mike the businessman i just i don't know man it just the tone of it not not necessarily the contents the tone of it just felt like we were going at one pace or we were in one particular area with this film and mm-hmm. then that is just completely different yeah. for like five, seven minutes. And it just felt really like, I think that might actually have been the only scene where I was kind of like, 
oh, well, check my, like, I'll look at my phone. I'm not really into this scene. Like, I know what you mean. And I, it doesn't... Yeah, maybe on second viewing, it does add something to the film or to how we're all feeling about the film and how she feels in particular about the town. But for me, I was just kind of like, this is weird. Like, it felt really... The character himself didn't feel in... Because all the characters, apart from the um, older guy, is it Wade? Wade's Wade, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, all of them are kind of sweet. But obviously, he's a bit more like... He's just an old, like an old, um, angry old guy. Mm-hmm. But all of the characters felt a certain particular way, and this Mike guy, I don't know, he didn't fit in, it didn't fit in for me, but... I, that, I can't think of anything. Like it just it just it still leaves me feeling a bit uncomfortable when I watch it. I really don't like it. But I love how Marge deals with it because you see how respectful she is and how yeah, even though yeah, she's yeah. being like, hey, back the fuck off from me, she says it in a really nice way. And you could yeah, I don't know. She's just awesome. Anything that didn't work for you at all in the film, Liam? Um or any little moments you weren't that didn't really click with you or something that stood out that you wanted to talk about or Honestly, um, other than that scene mm-hmm. that does feel completely kind of, I don't know, it this, it feels like it could be taken out of the film. I don't think it quite, I don't think tonally it, it fits. It does seem very kind of out of touch almost with the film. But then obviously, like Connor, you said, you just said before, it took you, what, your seventh uh, take of the film to probably kind of understand you know the actual point of that scene um and as as well you mentioned the the kind of closing scene as well and i guess for for a film that kind of you know the stakes are so high and it is quite kind of at times you know really kind of intense i think to end on on that i think some people kind of would love that kind of, you know, quiet, intimate moment of just two people kind of in bed together. Um, and just kind of almost like no kind of consideration for, for the craziness that's just happened. And it's kind of just, I think he said, I think her husband says two more months in, in reference to the baby that mm-hmm. that's on the way. And um, I think, the Coens, I don't think, do they don't do climactic final scenes like they just don't. I think they 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 tend to go for more of a a nuanced kind of um, thoughtful kind of end to their films. You know, regardless of of what's happened before that. I mean, when we did uh, No Country for Old Men, you just think of the the closing scene with. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the speaking about the dream he had of him and his dad, you know, um, it's it's always, I suppose, in that one it is thought provoking. In Fargo, the closing scene is more, it's it's very simple in a way, more just about their relationship and and kind of what what the, I'll actually I'll get to the point. What I don't like about it is. Obviously, you know, the, all the characters are quite quirky. Um, but I think to, it, I think it is strange to have a character just completely unfazed by, uh, you know, everything that's just happened. Mm-hmm. I think 
obviously one side of the coin is you know it's a testament to her mentality marge's mentality that she can just set that to one side and um you know not not focus on that and now she can just look forward and focus on her life but i just think kind of the closing scene for them two to be in, in bed together and kind of no reference to what's just happened and it's more just you know looking to the future i don't know i it i guess there's some bits that there's some elements of that that work and i think there's some elements that don't quite work mm-hmm. just in the sense that it, go on, it quite I quite like it, you know, and I, I think oh, not. It doesn't really, you know, when we were talking about the other scene uh, with Mike. Um, yes, yeah. It, uh, where I said like that doesn't massively fit with with the tone, and I think that end scene where they're in bed is like it also kind of doesn't fit. I know what you mean. It's just like a a wind down, isn't it? More than like a finale as such. Um, but I just kind of um, what I quite like about it is I think. And I don't know if this is only in hindsight with the fact that we've got like also three series of Fargo where it's like anthology series of different crimes or cases. But I just kind of feel like it gives the feeling of like, that's just another few days in the life of um, Francis uh, McDormand's character. So it's almost just like case closed. Mm-hmm. That's just the end of another case. And then and then maybe with thinking about the anthologies, it's just like, I love the fact that just a little small parcels of the, all these just little stories that we're just looking into and at the end of the day it is just another day in the life of this police a woman in the police force i like um, that too you know yeah you know so it's just like it's almost not a big deal it's just like oh this woman and the big deal is well yeah this woman's just in bed with this you know her husband mm. and you know what i mean almost just like it, it, it as opposed to it being a finale or or winding down it just almost is a cape the the, the folder to the case closing almost. And it's just like, it yeah. isn't a big deal. It's just what happens sometimes in life. It's just, you know, I, I think that's what I kind of like about it. Having knowing that we've got some series where mm-hmm. that type of thing does happen. Cause you've got three of them where it's like three separate stories almost. Do you think um, the Coens, I, I see, I think it, what make the way that the film is set up is it makes you think that uh, the crimes that happen within this film are you know a rarity you know they're quite you know things like this don't happen often in fargo in little old fargo north dakota um do you think that they had in mind that they would do these anthology tv shows that would kind of go on to say that you know in all these different kind of decades you know i think there's like five series now so there's like and so there's like five separate kind of big crimes that have happened in in and around fargo um which kind of takes away a little bit from the fact that I think they probably, when they were writing this film, had in mind that it was just this little old town that, you know, nothing really happens. It's, yeah. you know, kind of desolate. It's, um, it's, just, it's always snowing, it's cold, and people just get on with their lives. And I think, I don't think it takes away from it at all. It's just, I don't think they probably had in mind that, that they would have this kind of obviously I, I I'm not quite sure how involved they are or if they have ever been involved in the TV show maybe as producers I'm not too sure but um you know it kind of then to have have it that there's been these big kind of murders kind of that have happened around this area you know like quite often over the last few decades maybe take a take away a little bit from what's happened 
um, in the isolated case of the Fargo film. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think I actually agree. Having just said what I've just said, um, as one point, I do think it takes away from the quirk of the fact that it is set in like a small little village or even town in like mm-hmm. the nineteen nineties because, like, in a weird way, it could just be a city. And yeah, you wouldn't have the quirks of kind of like maybe you wouldn't have the accents, and maybe you wouldn't have like you know it's just involved. You know, it's it's involving a guy who just kind of owns no doesn't even own. It works in a small car dealership, and it's a small police force, and 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 the snow is everywhere, and it's completely like the wilderness, basically. Like it, you know, you wouldn't have that. But maybe it does take away slightly from the fact that like it is just a one-off, but then it isn't. And are the um series links um are they supposed to be set in the same um like are they separate cases in the same timeline or are they like you finish one series and it's almost like forget about what we're going on are they linked they're linked because in the first season you see the fence where the money's buried in this one and i remember i remember watching this film oh yeah i have yeah 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 watching this film about a week before this show came out and then I watched the show and I was like oh that's so cool I wonder if they're going to do anything with that of course they didn't they didn't at all because they wouldn't do that um but I think they are linked just on that I meant I meant meant the series though like so series one and series two are they set in the same universe or is it almost like only the one crime has happened in the town every series they are are meant to be they are meant to be linked in, yeah. in that they are set in the same universe. But other than that, but other than that, that, yeah, that's why they kind of go, um, they kind of delve into different decades and stuff because they don't oh, want okay. the character, they don't want the characters to be connected, but yeah. they want um, the stories oh, okay. to be connected to Fargo. Um, yeah, which I guess is again what we said, kind of maybe takes away a little bit. Um, mm. I really, really, really want to talk about the cinematography because we all know. Roger Deakins is a genius. I think I, I've probably lost count of how many of his uh, of his films we've covered on the podcast. Uh, off the top of my head, nineteen seventeen, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, that we've done on the podcast. Um, uh, oh, No Country for Old Men, obviously. Big Lebowski. Um, the Big Lebowski. But I just kind of oh, want to talk about the the, the opening of the film. Um, so with like with Roger Deakins kind of shot, um, and then as well accompanied with uh, Carter Burwell's score, it's very Western like. Do you not think? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a a Western in the snow, kind of like Hateful Eight style, but obviously set in the nineties. So I, I I love. Obviously, separate is the cinematography that I want to talk about in a minute, but just quickly on the kind of that kind of Western theme, because you do have a lot of the Western tropes in there with the kind of uh, the, the cops um, and the kind of uh, the rivalries you have and the kind of uh, almost gangs in a way, in terms of the, um, you have the kind of, you have kind of, I suppose like, you wouldn't say Jerry is in a gang, but when he's with um, his father-in-law and uh, his compatriot and they're trying to come up with a plan to get this money, um, it's all about, you know, double crossings and, um, you know, there are showdowns in this film, um, especially with, uh, you know, the one with uh, Carl and um, 
and Jerry's father-in-law, which is, yeah. you know, that that's great. That's a great, uh, it's great seeing that. Um, yeah, I just think it's very interesting. They do love, I think the Coens do play on kind of the Western tropes in quite a lot of their films. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think definitely it was probably, I'm, I'm sure it was a, it was a, um, a choice on their behalf to have the kind of almost Western score opening the film. Because it's great. I think it's this kind of like the contrast of, play, of of using a score that is associated with, you know, Westerns, which are in like, you know, stereotypically kind of like uh, hot kind of desert type uh, areas. But then having this set in this kind of desolate, snowy town, I think really works. It works really well. Um, but then going back to kind of Deakin's shots, there was one shot. Um, and it's it's kind of, it's like an overhead uh, wide shot almost, and it's um, oh it's it's there's there's a few trees in there, but it's kind of so far away that the trees look like twigs, and then uh, there's a car there as well, and uh, and then you see Jerry kind of slowly walking towards the car, but honestly, like it looks like a painting. Yeah. Um, the way the way that he, uh, he uses like the kind of uh, extreme whiteness of the snow to contrast like the other colors in the scene um it's just brilliant it's so so good and like roger deakins plays a massive part in um in shaping the kind of the tone of the film in terms of how he uh obviously the lighting of it um i think having the obviously it, it's almost either really really bright or quite dark there's not many scenes where it's in between in between that so you have that extreme contrast between the two which is kind of obviously the extreme contrasts in terms of the characters as well where you have like the incredibly dark characters um like um like carl and gare or uh you know the incredibly light characters and the, and, and the heroes of the film like um like marge and yeah i just think Honestly, I think this might be for me Deakin's best work, which is a, a big shout because obviously he's worked on so many amazing films and he's done so many amazing things. Um, but just for me, in terms of how important I think he was to convey in kind of tone and actual feeling and meaning in this film, mm-hmm. I think um, yeah, I think he played a real big role in that and yeah, just big up Roger Deakins It's so good as well because this film is quite short and quite self-contained that you're like, you have you don't have a lot of time to focus on other elements but because it's all, like you said the cinematography actually forms the narrative and forms the themes as well everything is interconnected so you can almost analyse it as one and then extrapolate parts that you like be it the cinematography, be it the score. Um, and uh, yeah, you say like De- this might be Deacon's best work, but you could pick more or less any of his films, except for that weird animated one he, but he apparently um, shot. We'll not talk about that. Though. Which one was that? I don't know. I've, I've been through his IMDb so many times that he's, he must have done at least one dud in there. Um, <laughs> so just before we wrap up, then we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, do you have any scenes you want to, Shout out any any favorite moments, favorite characters. Luke's nodding here. We'll go to Luke first. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not the I one like... I want to talk about, but okay, go on. <laughs> I hope not. Um what I um I never ever stupidly obviously 
think of my favourite scenes. I just kind of go through films, really. And then this question, like, literally comes up every week, and every week I'm like, oh, crap, I can't think of anything. Yeah. And I thought of... So the, I don't even know if you'd call it necessarily a scene. It's more like a, a, a little tidbit. But I love it when... Um, when um, Jerry's wife, who's been kidnapped, and they arrive at the uh, the little, whether you call it ranch or you call it like a little wooden cabin, um, and they open the car and she kind of like runs out and then stops and has like a look up, but she's got a bag over her head and then she's like falling over. And they're just, and the people, you know, uh, Carl and um, Ger, however you say his name, are just like looking at her, like not even going, like, look, we gotta catch her. She's just like, she can't see. She's in the middle of nowhere. She's running in snow and there's trees everywhere. And mm-hmm. it's just, and she's just falling over and they're just laughing their head. Oh, well, Carl is, you know, the other guys are mute basically. Yeah. But Carl's just like literally laughing his head off at her, just watching her. And then they just kind of go, Ugh. and then like, and that's the end of that, that little bit. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, it's a really good comedy bit. And I don't know. It, I don't know. I can't describe how I feel about it other than just like, it's just made me laugh yeah it is hilarious i love that moment as well i I think before that as well when um has there ever been a funnier moment of uh someone running that like someone falling down the stairs (laughs) because i think obviously it's such a it's such a brutal fall as well but it's it's the moment before that when they think she's escaped out of the window and then the only reason they realize is because yeah gets bitten on the hand and he's like looking for this um like antiseptic cream um in 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 the in the in the cabinet and then notices that she might be behind the 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 shower curtain next minute she just like jumps out of the out of the shower but then the curtain wraps around her and she's just running screaming drenched in this big shower curtain Uh and it just it just looks so (laughs) it looks so daft but it's so funny and then it's scene. kind of it like, and then followed by the, the just the absolutely brutal fall down the stairs where you. I thought she was dead at that point. I thought See? she was dead as well. Yeah, I thought she was completely gone because it was a brutal fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's like that's where the Coens are, are brilliant because they they use comedy in such a clever way that you think you know should I be laughing at that? Yeah, is mm-hmm. that should I? Did did you want me to laugh at that? should i have been is that meant to be funny and then fuck it i'll just laugh anyway yeah. um it's like, <laughs> um yeah it's it, it's it's brilliant yeah so i just wanted to add to that luke no it's yeah, cool. great good um i think one of my well the one i'm going to talk about anyway is the scene just before you see jerry make the phone call that his wife's been kidnapped and you hear him rehearse first and this this is another thing i love about the cohen's is that we all know that he's um, he's arranged for his wife to be kidnapped. The seat, the film opens with him talking to the two kidnappers about kid, and they're they're even there like you want to have your wife kidnapped. Like is this guy for real? <laughs> and you, you, it's 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 all cut to black, and you see him rehearsing the phone call, calling up Wade, um, his his father in law, and saying something's not right here, something's going on, and then the. Well, once again, the Cohen slash Roger Deacon just working perfectly together. You see like a pan left and it goes from pitch black to pan into the kitchen. And in the kitchen, you see him standing there and he's repeating this this line. And then he goes oh. and he does it again. And you're like, oh, he's actually not on the. Of course, he's not on the phone. Of course, he's not. He's rehearsing. And it kind of I don't know. I just thought that was hilarious. And because I knew I was hosting this, I felt like maybe I should have done that. I should have been 
um, <laughs> repeating my lines, <laughs> repeating, hello and welcome to the first talk. Yeah, I should have been doing that in front of the mirror this morning. I love that scene. There's so many I love, and I also love, we spot the crap out of this film. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, Gare or whatever his name is, he eventually turns on Carl and Marge discovers him because he's put Carl into a wood chipper. And I think that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, Absolutely that is love that moment. And that's that's the, that's the true story that the film's based on, is that a detective found a and a man being <laughs> put through a wood chipper. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so and there was work, a... They work backwards from that? Or? Well, there, there was that, and they also were inspired by a car salesman who'd gotten himself into trouble by, like... Like dodging the books and giving wrong like tax numbers and stuff like that, which also happens in the film. And they just put those two things together and got the film. And I love that. Yeah, that's my favorite moment. I don't know if you it, great good good moment. You, you went, Leah. I do I, love yeah. that. Sorry, I I do love that wood chipper moment. I was going to mention that um, before I start talking about the uh, the the shower scene again, mm-hmm. but um, I just think it just. It does a couple of things that um, that wood chipper scene in that you kind of you see just how fucking stupid uh, Gare and, and Jerry are as the two bads who are they're both responsible for countless deaths in this film. <laughs> yeah. um, you know they they've been hired to do a job which they immediately you know within the first kind of ten minutes of the film fail at. Um, Having you know killed a cop, killed two um, two uh, passersby, um, they just fuck up after fuck up after fuck up, and then they ask for more money from Jerry. And to be fair, that that's probably like the one part of the film where I'm like, are they for uh, like poor <laughs> Jerry? Jer- Jerry's uh, yeah. you to kidnap yeah. his wife, not to kill three people on the way. My only counter to this is that Jerry tells them that, oh yeah, the, the ransom will be 80 grand, you can have 40, you two can have 40, and I'll have the other 40, because that's how much money he needs. But he's actually asked for a million dollars. He's a fucking yeah. snack, Jerry. He is. He is a total I know snake. what you mean, but because he's because it's William H. Messi and because he's... You don't root for him, but you're kind of like, oh, come on, man. Yeah, you don't, I think... It's it's clever, isn't it, to have so many assholes that when you, <laughs> I, I think that's probably why I think they waited half an hour to introduce Marge, yeah. Because you have so many assholes, so many bad characters, so um, in the sense bad, they're, they're bad people, um, that you don't kind of get that antidote and that contrast until half an hour into the film, and obviously being it's only a ninety minute film, it's quite a long time into the film. Yeah. Um, so then, at the moment that you are introduced to Marge, it's it's a massive relief then yeah. to have you know you you spend time with a genuinely nice person um, who is really good at her job and she's you know funny and mm-hmm. and, and witty and and uh, yeah, I think that's just the Coens just just know how they just get it. I think they just know how to how to do it. I agree. Right. They're awesome, um, and considering this is one of not the first films, but like in the grand scheme of things, in 2020 they've made a bunch of movies, and this was on the early side, shall we say? Yeah. And it's fucking hot. No wonder it won two Oscars and is considered one of the greatest, um, like contemporary American films that have mm. been released. Um, 
All right, awesome. Any guys, you got anything else you want to chat about in, in terms of the film? All right, we'll just go. Nah, popcorn, I, just, I, I just, I just want to say it was fucking sick. It is, and honestly, if once again, if you've listened to this and we've spoiled the crap out of it, there's still so many moments that if you've not watched this film, please go and watch it because you'll laugh at something, you'll feel uncomfortable at bits, you'll probably want to talk to other people about it, and then you can hit us up at first take. Oh yeah, on Twitter. If you're, uh, if you want to know where you can watch it as well, it's. Um... On you can get a seven day free trial, can't you? On uh, MGM on mm. uh, Amazon Prime. Um, yes. yeah. It used to be on Netflix, and I'm so annoyed that it, it is. That's why we suggested it because we're trying to keep it everything to Netflix, Netflix for, isn't it? <laughs> it was on Netflix <laughs> for years as well. Right. I was like, "Fucking hell, you're messing." Yeah, and we were like, "I'm <laughs> sure we spoke about this. <laughs> Money's tight at the minute. Yeah. It should be safe." Okay. Some <laughs> We've done that a few times though, where films that have like Fargo, the film, has been on Netflix genuinely had, had been on for years, yeah. and then for <laughs> for when we decide to do it, it's not there. We've done that before with another film. I'm sure we have because. It's just our, it's just our luck, isn't it? Oh well, never yeah. mind. Um, all right, uh, it, was, it was guys. It was your first take, so I'll come to you in a second. But if I was going to give this popcorns, I'd give it a solid eighty-one. And like, I love the film; it deserves a lot more. But I, I, you know, eighty-one seems fair to me today. Guys, what about you? I'm going to go to you first, Liam. I, uh, I'm going to go with uh, seventy-nine popcorns. Um, I was going to go with 80, but I didn't want to be, you know, too close to you, Connor. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a cough today, so fair enough. Yeah, yeah, going straight back to something that Luke said right at the start of the podcast with like, in terms of the rewatchability, I think I could watch this film countless times and Mm. it would probably get better and better. Um, Yeah, yeah, the fact it's so short as well, um, definitely definitely i i will i will watch this film again at some point um but i am going to cancel my mgm free trial so the next time i watch yeah. it will be when it's on telly um, so, mm. you know. um i will give it i will give it a solid 85 you know i loved it i like I, i'm gonna watch it before my free trial ends again you know yeah get a seven day free trial i watch it every day just to get, I have get a the day free off trials. on Friday, so I'm gonna just oh, I'm gonna watch all the films in the world. Yeah, that's that awesome. sounds amazing, man. That sounds great. But yeah, 85 for me, it was awesome. Sick. All right, so on next week's episode, we've kind of got like a double header, but we're gonna split it up and do two separate weeks. Um, next week we're covering probably one of the best films ever made, the best film ever made, um, Citizen Kane. It'll be another first take for both of you, I think. Is that right? It is. Oh man, I have very mixed feelings about this film and I Ooh. mostly love it but there's so many things I want to talk about and we're going to try and keep it you know keep the episode short so we're going to split them up we're going to do Citizen Kane next week um, which you can watch on iPlayer at the minute and then the following week we're going to do Mank which is the new David Fincher film about um, I think Herman J. Mankiewicz the producer of of Citizen Kane and it's kind of tied in together with you know the legacy that that film has and oh man, I'm excited. I've been dying for new David Fincher content for months. He's such yeah, he's a good great, filmmaker. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to any excuse to talk about Citizen Kane Boys. How do you feel about it? Yeah, honestly, never thought about watching it before in my life. So like the other day, like when you guys were like, I don't know, I think I, I like went to bed early and like I woke up with like a load of messages and everyone was like super stoked or whatever it happened, whatever happened. <laughs> and I was just like 
like yeah, we'll do it. Like I, I I've never, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch it, mm-hmm. but I've never ever like I don't know when I would have watched it. Yeah. So it's one of them, really. Um, but it's meant to be, you know, like you say, one of the greatest. Like you know, if someone's drawing up a top five of critically acclaimed greatest films, it's this is like probably in the top three. So I'm um I'm excited to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm uh I'm excited too. I think I'm more excited to watch Mank just because uh, I've been waiting for so long for David Fincher to, to make <laughs> another film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, the early reviews for it are that it is probably going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. And it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. Wow. R- um, certified fresh as fuck on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. <laughs> it's yeah. like 92% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, <laughs> after like 50-odd 50 50 critic reviews as well, which is yeah. more than usual. So, that, yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to be great. Citizen Kane, obviously, uh, you know, is renowned as one of the... It's what it, See, it's renowned as one of the best films of all time, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about how much they enjoyed it which no one tells so... you to watch it yeah no yeah. one's like oh you have to watch this but yeah, it's good I'm... to have a film like that under your belt yeah so like in contrast obviously like casablanca everyone tells you to watch casablanca um no one's told me ever to watch citizen kane they've said <laughs> yeah, maybe true. you should watch it uh, it's on iplayer you know <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, yeah it is on iplayer so uh, all, all of you listeners you 100 percent. if you haven't watched it before or even you need a quick refresh uh, before we do the pod next week, it's on iPlayer, and it's not even a long film. I think it's two hours long. Um, two hours, yeah. Yeah. So watch it. Okay. Just watch it. Awesome. Um, any other business boys? You got anything else you want to say? Any? Uh, just any? Any I'm, news? <laughs> no, I've started watching. Well, I mean, I I do this every every now and again. Um, I've never watched it all the way through, but I've started watching Seinfeld, and I'm on season three, and I'm also so I'm, I'm watching that as well as the US Office and. I'm on season three on that as well, and I'm just loving both of them. They're the best things ever. Um, I'm on season three of The Office too, and it's amazing. It's I'm on the season. I'm on the final season of The Office. Oh man, <laughs> I saw someone say the other day that like the last episode of The Office is like fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh, stop! Stop! I'm, 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 like, so I'm, I'm like so excited. I'm like fifteen episodes. I've got fifteen episodes oh, left. Oh damn! I'm. I think. So what? I'm he's he's scared is, of running out. Yeah, no. Well, I'm getting to the point now where I don't, I don't want to have it. Like I've been watching a lot of it, like in bed. But I like, I don't. If I fall asleep, I will go back and rewatch what I've missed. But I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I I want to treat the final few episodes with the utmost respect. So I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm probably gonna um have it so that when on my day off on Friday, I'm gonna leave myself about five episodes. Yeah. Um. Nice. So that I can prop. I can properly enjoy it on Friday. And probably have a good little, a nice little cry. Honestly, there's, um, I, I think, I think we're all, we all know that Steve Carell leaves at, at some point um, in 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 the series, mm-hmm. um, in the show. And they're uh, they're genuinely the episode that it happens. I I, I shed a little tear, and that uh, maybe that makes me sad, but I think that just says it, it's how good it is. And um, yeah, don't we tell me what become... season it is. Don't tell me what season it is. I can't remember. Yeah, no, I, I, I won't. I won't tell you. Um, but yeah, th- this has become the uh, the first take uh, 
TV show. Office club. We should do like a, we should do like a little special on it when we finished it, like a, like a little twenty five minute like Christmas special. We have talked great. about it on the past like six episodes as well. Yeah, we have. I'm, yeah. I'm here for that. I'm actually maybe, here for that. Yeah, maybe we could. I mean, yeah. I first take TV. First take TV club. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anyway, first anyway, take a, first take AV club. I was thinking that sick. first take AV club. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, AV. That, that, Audiovisual, yeah. it's, it's like a oh it's, right, yeah, it's like yeah, a thing, course. isn't it? Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's a setting on the telly, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like HDMI yeah, it club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, let's get out. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Um, okay, yeah, cool. you can find us on on. Um, Twitter and Instagram at First Take Pod. We've got a Facebook. It's just First Take Film Club. I'll be honest. It's been a little bit quiet. It's been a little bit. Um, Fargo desolated snow wasteland at the minute, but we're working on it. We'll get there. Well, soon. on Facebook, yeah, no one really. Uses oh yeah, Facebook. uh, Facebook's all about the election and and coronavirus scares Joe Biden. And Joe Biden. Yeah. Facebook is just is full of racists. <laughs> not to not, not to tar them all with the same brush, but it's where yeah. I see the most the most stupid, crazy, Ooh. dumb as fuck opinions. Someone the other day, before we go, I just want to point out how ridiculous people are. Someone the other day was talking about how coronavirus is a hoax. Um, the guy is a year younger than me as well. Like, you, 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 come on. Mm, come on. It's not a hoax. If you think it's a hoax, then I absolutely have no time for your... I, is... I cannot sanction your buffoonery. Speaking the of someone who had no time, idiot. the guy who wanted to wrap up ASAP because he had to go to work is now on a rant about non-believers. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, I have to go for a shower yes. right now. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see you later, guys. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs>